The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. Today's episode is a more casual conversation with my friends type of listening, a safe and open space to chat about mental health, struggles, strengths, wins, and what we're positively anticipating or hopeful about. I'm hoping by highlighting this type of intimate, transparent conversation between friends, it can be a step in the right direction toward normalizing the true experience of our full range of emotions and state of mental health. I'm optimistic that we'll start to recognize that mental health is what we all have in common. It's much more a way of bringing people together rather than setting us apart. I hope that this type of conversation will inspire each of you in creating a safe space for a more open dialogue between you and those you care about and realize struggle, whether it's anxiety, panic attacks, infertility, stress, depression, burnout, or anything and everything in between is, well, normal. Not normal like it doesn't need to be dealt with, but normal like par for the course of being a human. And the shame and guilt we ourselves or others impose upon us surrounding it all, well, that's the abnormal part. And that's the part that is not okay. Research shows that most people that suffer with mental health issues don't actually get the help that they need because of the stigmas associated with it. And that is absolutely unacceptable. Let's commit to breaking down these walls in any way that we can. And one of the best ways to help destigmatize notions around mental health is just simply to talk about it. My guests on today's episode of Looking Up are well-known celebrity stylists, co-founders of The Kit Undergarments. They're my friends and they're moms. Their names are Jamie Mizrahi and Simone Harouche. Jamie has styled clients such as Katy Perry, Nicole Richie, Kate Upton, Riley Keough, Amber Valletta, Eva Mendes, and um, Ryan Gosling. She formerly worked at Vogue. She was also brought on as the creative director for Juicy Couture and has a collection currently with the eco-conscious and innovative brand Rent the Runway. Simone has been a stylist for 15 years and she's worked with the Kardashians, the Jenners, Jennifer Lopez, Christina Aguilera, Miley Cyrus, Demi Lovato, Joel Madden, and bands like Panic and the Disco. She's responsible for several fashion ad campaigns and has been highlighted in renowned publications like Vanity Fair, InStyle, Glamour, Marie Claire, Rolling Stone, Cosmo, and so many more. I love how Jamie and Simone met, and we're going to learn all about that in just a moment. We talk about overcoming and working through debilitating panic attacks, struggling with fertility issues, the power of the mind, and the duality of optimism and pessimism being at the right place at the right time, being present and open to opportunity and the hard work it takes to not only run a business, but to do so with your best friend. As always, practical tips included. So much of this episode has a certain nostalgia to it, as much as it is forward thinking. It's sort of a nod to the late 90s and early 2000s era, which I don't know about you, but is a time that brings me so much joy. Juicy tracksuits, studded belts, frosted lip gloss, trucker hats, Brittany, Christina, Avril. My guests don't know it, but even I had an EP out at the time. But that's for another episode or maybe for no episode ever at all. The flip phones, sidekicks, and of course, watching the Osbournes on repeat. 
In the words of my guests, it was a time. And it was one that I can't help but keep wanting to talk about. So the way that looking up this podcast work is where we start with a couple or a few rapid fire questions just to get to know you guys a little more intimately. And I'm excited about this portion because even though I consider us friends, I actually don't know the answer to any of these questions. So I'm excited to learn this. And I think something like this is a cool way (laughs) to, don't be scared. Okay. Jamie, you start with the answers to the questions without thinking, no judgment, just answer them. And then Simone will go. So the first one is, it's very easy, this one, don't worry. Is there a book or a quote or advice that you've gotten that has changed your life? The quote- It's very always, easy, Jamie. <laughs> my, my, the quote that I always like think of is stay in your own lane, which for me, I distract easily. I look at what other people are doing. I compare and I really love always thinking of that. So I stay focused and I- kind of, I set intentions and I want to stay on the path of, of fulfilling whatever that intention is. I'm actually taking note of that because I tend to do the same thing <laughs> and I need to hear that. Simone, same question. Is there a book or advice that you've gotten or a quote that you've seen, um, something that really has changed your life and had that aha moment or sort of directs you in your life? Maya Angelou said to be a rainbow in someone else's sky. It's like there's cloudy days and there's heaviness and you don't know what you can bring to someone else's life just by kind of being that light. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're so hard on ourselves and, and we only see like the worst of things, but someone else can look at us and feel like we bring positivity or joy into that. We're always impacting other people. So to bring the light, or try to mm-hmm. at least bring the light, I think is, is something that I, I really, it resonates with me. And then also that everything passes, you know, mm-hmm. like every stage in our lives. So to be present and, you know, to really like learn from things or when you're overwhelmed, know that it will pass. And, and so all of these things have reasons and are happening, but there's something that we should learn from all of these events or stages in our lives. So true. And so both like such pillars of optimism, which we're (laughs) going to talk about. Even though I don't really like, you know, it's harder, it's easier said than done, but those are the two things that I try and and really. I love that. Okay. So Jamie, yes. right now, how many unread emails are in your inbox? Oh my God. I actually am so <laughs> excited to answer this because I cleared them before this call and there are only ah. eight. Oh my God. That is impressive. I know. I kind of want to guess, but I am not sure. And I can't wait to see. I feel like Simone is a very low number inbox person too. No, or no. What, how many emails are in yours? Well, they were cleared before we started this because I oh, have to like I felt be like done, that about you. So now I have six. Oh, you can tell? Yeah. I just like, for some reason, I would have guessed that. Probably have the same emails too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like so, so embarrassed to share, but mine is 30,197. People like you. I know. No. I know. It's stress. I couldn't go to sleep. I would stay up and read everyone. No, you wouldn't. 
or I'd at least delete them. <laughs> well, now it's, it's, I feel like it's too late. Like I can, I physically can't delete 30,000 emails. Yeah, you can. But how can you even keep track or know what's coming in or what you haven't replied? Are they to? all spam? I don't know. And that's the whole thing. My husband is a zero inbox person and it like literally stresses him out. I need help. I need help, guys. <laughs> True. It's a cry for help. Okay. It is a cry for help. Okay, Jamie, describe yourself as a teenager in three words. I'm excited about this one. Active, athletic, outgoing. Okay. Were you like a CIF, like soccer champion? No, I was just like, I played a lot of sports. I was like, I had a lot of friends. I love that. Where'd you grow up? In New Jersey. Okay, Simone. Three words to describe yourself as a teenager. <laughs> I was a little wild. As a teen, um, as a, oh yeah, I guess I, yeah, I didn't think, I guess I wasn't athletic as a teen. I was thinking like, you like just I made kid. yourself, I was like, I, I thought she was like wearing like a, like a thinking, Letterman jacket. I was thinking like, like a kid. I was thinking like seven years old. I wasn't <laughs> thinking a teen. A teen, I was definitely not <laughs> 17, 18, 19, 14, 15. Yeah. As a yeah, teen, like, teen, you know, like 13, like 13 through 13 through like okay, 17. Yeah. I have a change 19. of adjectives, but I can let Simone answer and then I can answer or I can go. Okay. No. You can go. <laughs> I mean, I would probably say outgoing still, probably rebellious and wild because just like I, mm-hmm. I, I acted like I was older than I was. Simone. So I was wild. I was definitely a nonconformist <laughs> and I was careless. I feel like I feel like we need an example now. Careless. Careless like I I failed algebra. I didn't care about schoolwork. I lied to my parents and basically like just was naughty with boys and <laughs> I got a nipple ring, dyed my hair pink, dyed my hair purple, like cut it short. I was just like, I don't care. I just wanted to like find myself. Yeah. And express yourself. Are you scared for when your children become teenagers? No, because I know every single trick in the book. Yeah. They cannot get like, even now they're, they're <laughs> six and seven. And it's just like, I know everything. And my daughter, who is me, she is so just like, she's like a naughty monkey. Like she's just, and I just know all of her tricks. And she's like, mommy, I'm like, don't do it because I know. And you're just going to get caught yeah. every single Been time. Been there, done and that. So I've kind of like instilled the the fear but maybe you have to let her because you did it mm-hmm. yeah yeah I let I let her get away with certain things it's like a fine line <laughs> how did you guys meet I love like talking to partners whether it's romantic partners or business partners I actually realize I don't know I mean I know you guys are in the same field and I presume it was through that but I actually don't know how the two of you came together so <laughs> I'm excited to find out. Simone dated my husband, but they've also been friends their whole life. Woo, I love that. I'd never and that's knew. Not, and that's not how we met. But yes, I... Not, we met at Coachella through him. Right, but you were dating him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah. like... I was dating him. <laughs> and I was moving to LA and Nico said to Simone, Jamie wants to work 
in LA, she's going to move here. And I, my first job in LA was working for Smoke. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and now I live in her house, which is even weirder. I remember that when I came over for dinner and Simone had said, this was my house. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Whoa. I love that. So Simone dated Nico. And when you were dating Nico and you were going to move out to LA, he was like, let me connect you to my ex-girlfriend. No, they were like friends at that point. Okay. He was like, just friend. Okay. He was like my ex-girlfriend. So Nico was friends with her husband. They like grew up. How old were you when you were Okay, so you were married at that part. I think so. Yeah, I think I was married at that point. Yeah, I was married because I lived in, yeah. And I was already like styling like for years. So Jamie's first job was like with the Kardashians. It was all of them on some like commercial Why? print job. And it was a big, yeah. So <laughs> by that point, it was already, I was already in full styling mode. That's amazing. And Simone, how did you get into styling to begin with? You're from LA, right? Yes, I'm from LA. My dad is in, he's a clothing manufacturer. My sister is a designer. So fashion's like just in our blood. And I wanted to do something in fashion, but I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. So, and I went to USC and I was graduating and I went to Los Feliz to a store and it was owned by a stylist. I actually saw it on Extra. Do you remember that TV show Extra? It's yeah, like totally. I don't know. Is it still on? Did it go like extra, extra? Yes, yes, yes. And so they interviewed a stylist who owned a store called White Trash Charms and she styled the Osbournes. At the time, the Osbournes the show. were like a big deal. Is this like yes. when they were, like I watched that religiously. Yeah, it was like the early 2000s. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And she, the stylist shows this jacket and it was like so cool. And so I was like, I want to go there after school one day. So I like go to, I go there. And I find the jacket and she happens to be in the store and I give her my credit card to, to, to get the jacket. And she looks at my name and she's like, Simone Roosh, Roosh, I, I know you. And, and then we put it together and she happened to be, she used to take care of me when I was little and what? I was best friends with her little sister. And she's like, this is so crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. Because I was like, six or seven at the time when I, when she would like babysit me and her sister and then we lost touch. And so it just didn't connect. I was a lot smaller at the time. So that happened. And then my roommate was like, you're graduating college. What are you going to do? Like a week later. And I was like, I don't know. I think maybe I want to be a stylist. And she's like, oh my gosh, there's a styling agency in my building in the next floor down. I know the owner send your resume to her and like, maybe she'll get you an internship. So I did that. And she sent my resume to Brooke Doolian, who was the owner. No way. Who was my babysitter. And she was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. I haven't seen you in years. And in the span of two weeks, you come into my store and my agent sends me your resume. She was like, this is fate. This is so crazy. You're going to come and work for me. And then I started working for her as their intern. And then I was her assistant for like a year. The rest is history. But like it was fate and just the right time. Things just happened. So who would you consider or what job, what client would you consider was sort of like your big break into the industry or was it more of a long process? No. (laughs) So my roommate, she used to be Christina Aguilera's day-to-day manager. 
And so Christina would be at our house or our apartment when I was like 23 years old. I wouldn't talk to, to her. I'd just like walk in the house and I was just like angry, smoking cigarettes, like <laughs> close the door with my cut up t-shirts. And so Christina one day was like, I really like your shirts because I cut all my shirts and do weird stuff to them. And she's like, would you do that for me? And I was like, sure. Okay. And so then she had her assistant drop off like a bag of 80 t-shirts. And I was like, whoa, I thought I was just going to do like two or three. And anyways, I got through the entire bag like an insane person, because if you give me a task, I will just like get it done. And I got it done super fast and I gave them back to her. And then she was like, oh my God, I love them. You know, really like your style, maybe on smaller jobs, like you could, you could do smaller jobs for me. Like I already have a stylist. And then I was like, okay. Who's your stylist at the time? Trish Somerville. Okay. I don't even know. She's like a bit, she was a big like costume designer. She did like fight club. She did a lot of movies. She's a big stylist. I had already been assisting for like two or three years. So that's a good amount of time. But after two or three years, you don't get a client like Christina Aguilera's mm-hmm. yeah. first client or job. But anyway, so she called me to do the Vanity Fair Oscar party. So that was my first. Wow. <laughs> and then like a couple months later, I, I don't know, she just took to me like we just ended up really having a good working chemistry in the beginning. And um, she had me do her album packaging and I was doing shoots with Ellen Von Unworth. Like, but it was just crazy. It it happened really fast. I couldn't really like process what was going on, but all of these things were just kind of coming my way and I couldn't be like, no, 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 I'm scared. I'm too young. I'm not ready for this. It was just like, I had to take what was coming and just go. So you're like jumping into the cold water. There was no time to prepare. It was just like, yeah, it was happening. Sink or swim. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's a crazy story. Okay. Jamie, how did you start into styling? I feel like styling is not like a real, it is a real Mm -hmm. business, but there's no, like, it's not like you go to school to be a lawyer and then you're like, it just kind of happens like that. So the story for me is kind of similar where like it finds you where you're at all things kind of lead to that I was working at this place Albright Fashion Library in New York that's like kind of a high-end rental house costume house for where all stylists go and that was kind of when I got introduced to what styling was and that was when I was still in college and just doing a summer internship so I kind of worked with a ton of stylists so I worked with Linda Rodin I worked I worked with like stylists who were doing Victoria's Secret commercials or less celebrity Mm -hmm. styling because New York is way more editorial. And Mm -hmm. then when I graduated, a friend from college introduced me to a stylist who did a lot of Vogue Italia and and Vogue editorials and, and really just worked with models. And I assisted her for about two months. And then my parents were like, what is your job? You work till like, Four in the morning, some days you don't work, you work on a Saturday and Sunday, but you don't like, what is, what is this job that you're there? They were way more used to like a nine to five. There's HR. Anyway, so I went and I interviewed at Vogue magazine and I got a job there and I was working in events um, at Vogue, which was, I mean, I kind of was like, okay, if you get a job there, you, you, it was always kind of a, 
dream to work there, but simultaneously, I was there for about a year and my boss was leaving. I started dating my husband in, in LA, my now husband in LA. And I kind of was like, I guess this is the perfect time for me to move out there and see if I would do this. So I left Vogue, I came out to LA, and then I just started assisting actually a bunch of celebrity stylists. So I, so I worked for Simone, I worked for this woman, Petra Flannery. But then while that was happening, I got introduced to this woman, Cassandra Gray, who's since started Violet Gray. And she wanted to, her husband was the head of Paramount Pictures. And she wanted to open a styling studio on Melrose and wanted to give kind of like a more intimate relationship between a stylist and Hollywood. So she kind of brought me in to run anything she was doing. So she took all her starlets and we dressed them. So it was anyone from January Jones to Rosie Huntington to... Ava Mendez. And then Cassandra decided she wanted to go into beauty. And my whole life, I grew up, my dad was in the beauty industry. And I was like, I know I don't want to go into beauty. So I'm going to, she was like, do you want to come work at Violet Gray? And I was like, no, I don't want to. I'm going to go to FITM. So I went, I enrolled in FITM just kind of to learn sewing and pattern making and everything that I didn't know because I never went to technical school. And at that time, Ava Mendez, who I'd been working with, was mm-hmm. coming out with this movie, Place Beyond the Pines. And she was like, I have a stylist, but I, but I kind of want to work with someone who doesn't have anyone else. Will you come do Ryan and I for the press tour? And I was like, um, yes. Okay, this is what I want to do. So <laughs> I left FITM after a year. I learned things. I'm sure I could have learned more if I, if I stayed, but... Then after I started working with her, I got an agent and then it just kind of started to happen. So so professionally speaking, what would you say, Jamie, is like your biggest success or the thing that you're most proud of? That I'm most proud of? I think when I became, I, w- I was working for, I would always work with brands and consult on brands and I was consulting for Juicy Couture and when they asked me to be creative director, Mm -hmm. I think that was a big accomplishment for me and figuring out how to do runway shows and build a collection and have a team and be kind of, because it really, it's where where styling is kind of, you you like live whatever world you want to live in, kind of being creative director for an iconic brand like that, that Mm -hmm. I grew up wearing and I loved so much was it was a way different undertaking and it was, it was just really awesome and fun to have that opportunity. I'm at my mom and dad's place right now is where I'm recording from. And in my mom's closet, she has one whole side of her closet that is all old juicy couture. Does she wear them now? Well, she wears that like when she goes on walks, she wears full on velour suits. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. I have like a love for a juicy (laughs) tracksuit. Yeah, it was the time. And now you have a partnership with Rent the Runway, right? Yes. So I do a collection with them, which is fun because I get to use those same kind of design mm-hmm. in, a, in a smaller way that I was doing at Juicy, but it's definitely a way to channel my creative energy, which is fun. That is so cool. I love that. Definitely like such an iconic brand for our like generation. Like you just can't not 
like talk about juicy. Simone, you too. Like what would you professionally speaking say is like you put it down as one of your biggest successes or something you're just really proud of? Yeah, I was just trying to think about it and I feel like I can't like say it was one specific moment. I think that there were so many jobs that like presented either like challenges or were things that I had never done before that I was able to accomplish and look back on and be like, whoa, I can't believe I did that or that was pretty cool. But yeah, I I, I think that each job that's even that I'm thinking about, they all like presented different challenges or I'm proud of them for different reasons. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's it that's that's a really hard one for me. I can imagine. And then also you guys starting your own collection and your own brand together is probably huge. Yeah, probably one of the hardest. Yeah, Things. and the hardest. Yeah. And you're still so right now you guys have the kit undergarments, um, which is your brand. By the way, also the only time I have ever posed for a photograph in underwear for Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> Which was pretty amazing. Like there was something about it that just, I don't know, it's something I'm proud of. It's like one of the moments that I feel proud because I would have never done anything like that before. In addition to that, you guys still have your own personal styling careers, right? You're still doing that. Jamie does from time to time, but I was I was out like, First of all, I I didn't I needed to get out of styling. I had done it for a really long time and I was just burnt out. I think that also like this is a full, t- it, you know, like you have yeah. to really give it your all. Yeah, I think so we didn't I, realize how it's way different from working for for yeah. a client, yeah. working mm-hmm. for a brand that has different channels to use to help support. Yes. I mean, it's different when you're when you're not only running the business, doing the creative, but raising the money, hiring everyone. It, like it's just be, it it was something that at least I know I know Simone too, but I did not expect. So well, I still love. We thought it would be fun. Yeah, we thought it would be all fun and games. <laughs> and well, I still love styling. I'm definitely very selective about the types of projects I do. I do projects that are really kind of with people I love and that are kind of special and feel important to do. And then the, the, all that in between day-to-day stuff, I, I don't really do. For either one of you, what does optimism mean to you? Would you consider yourself an optimist? For me, it means seeing the glass half full. And I would, but I also like check myself because I can go the other way for sure, especially when it comes to things about myself. I'm mostly an optimist, but I definitely can be a pessimist too. Mm-hmm. I think being positive and seeing the good. So like the same thing. And I think that I'm part optimist and part pessimist. I think there's certain things that I look at or certain ways I view. I view certain things in a very positive way. And I always want to feel like I'm seeing the best, but mm-hmm. other things I'm just like very negative yeah. about. And, and it's really hard. I think it's just like the mm-hmm. thought process or how I've been trained to think about things. And yeah, I think I'm a little bit of both. Yeah. They say that no one's really a true optimist or a pessimist. 
we have both of those in us as humans. And some things are easier for us to look at optimistically and some things are a lot harder. Maybe I'll ask Simone first, what like do you feel like has been the biggest struggle in your life so far or like the darkest moment? That is such a hard question. I think something that was really hard for me, which is just like an obvious one, was I had really, um, I couldn't get pregnant. So I had fertility issues. I didn't ovulate. And I saw everyone around me, all my friends, they were getting pregnant. And I was married and my husband and I had been trying for a year. And I was just like, what, what is wrong with me? Like, mm why is my body? It's the one thing as a woman that you're born to do. And I couldn't do it. And it just was like, so hard for me. And it was such a weird thing to also like, look at my friends and look at the people I loved and be so happy for them. But at the mm-hmm. same time, feel like a like a sadness or, or why can't I have that? Or why? You know, so I think that that is something that was really hard for me but then you know like I said everything happens for a reason and maybe it wasn't the right time and I'm a big believer and like my son came to me at the right time like I was able to get pregnant with the help of you know fertility drugs and a doctor and I'm so happy that I waited and I remember I was talking to my friend and I was crying and I was saying like I just don't understand why, why. And she was like, one day we're going to look back at this and you're going to, you're going to understand why. Mm. And your child is out there. He or she is, is, is waiting for you, but it's just not now. And I think about it and I think like my two children are, I, I feel so blessed and so lucky that they chose me and that I did wait. And for whatever reason, it didn't happen at the time that I wanted it to, but it happened. And um, I think that that was a really big thing for me. Do you feel like there were some go-to like things that you did or rituals that you performed or tools that you had during that time that helped you? Even I know you talk to friends and just like having that open line of communication and expressing yourself sounds like something that is really helpful for you. but. I think that the mind is just, and this is the ironic part is I think that the mind is just like, is so powerful, you know, and you get into that like thought of just, it consumes you and like, why can't I get, and then your life that just, it takes over everything. But when you actually start to let go Mm -hmm. of those feelings and just live your life and, and be able to speak about it and, but, but put it aside, Mm -hmm. you know, there are other things to focus on then you become more free, I think. Mm -hmm. And being able to talk to your friends, doing yoga, acupuncture, I was doing like everything that I could in like the wellness, Mm -hmm. self-care kind of space to try and take care of myself. And I mean, I think just having friends and being able to talk and process things was helpful for me. It is like you hear about, there's like studies done on couples that have had difficulty getting pregnant and then they like go through the process of adoption and like when things are working out, all of a sudden they get pregnant. Like there's so, there's, I mean, like not to say that all of fertility issues are 
emotional, but there's such a connection between your emotions and your mental state with fertility. I mean, it just is, it's part of our, it's the mind and body connected. And so oftentimes it could be structural or hormonal and all those things count, but like also, yeah, you can't really discount the, the mental part as well. Yeah. Jamie, what about you? Is there a particular um, struggle that you have had to work through? I mean, I think it's, it's obviously just kind of life in general and different timing and, and probably the hard, actually probably the hardest time that I had was in college. I started to get really, really, really bad panic attacks, like where I was at the hospital once a week getting brain scans, thinking like I couldn't do anything. It was crippling. And and that followed me into like the first year after I graduated into my first job. It was debilitating, like to the point, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had panic attacks, but it was almost like out of body, not feeling alive. And then having fear that you were going to have one. No, I was just convinced I was dying. Like I had a brain and I was going to have a brain aneurysm. I had a brain tumor. This was happening. Like it was just, I, I couldn't live my life because I was living in constant fear of just living. Mm-hmm. And I think people for so long were like, it's underlying issues. It's things you never have talked about. Never, you, you've never kind of like understood who you are. And, and growing up, therapy wasn't really something that my parents believed in. Mm-hmm it was only in college that I really discovered kind of these layers that we have. And it was only until probably the past five years that I've really kind of peeled back those layers. And I've been on anxiety medication for at least 10 plus years because I don't even know how to live without it. But I now have developed tools that I think, I think every year they, it just, you, you peel back another layer that you're dealing with and then all those things come up and you either have, have garnered the tools to deal with it or, or mm-hmm. I kind of keep an open mind to go out and seek those tools. So I'm always trying to evolve and grow because I live, in, I live kind of in this fear of having that time come back again where, I, where I'm just mm-hmm. not addressing the real issue. So those like three years of my life were probably the hardest to kind of figure it out. Cause I'm like, it's not emotional. It's not mental. It is, it is physical. I am dying. Like I'm convinced I'm dying. I'm convinced I have a debilitating disease and it really just proves how powerful your mind is. What are some of those tools that you kind of garnered and that you kind of hold in your back pocket? So I, I went to this, this place, the Hoffman process, Um, and they kind of teach you these check-ins, like kind of just, you wake up in the morning, you do these check-ins with yourself. How are you feeling? Kind of, it's kind of anytime I start to, it's all so personal because everyone has their own battles with things, but obviously breathing exercises, certain meditations, certain podcasts, but a lot of it's these check-ins and checking in with yourself and kind of saying, okay, how am I feeling right now? really breaking it down with these processes that I've learned from exploring that field. And being like open to it. Yeah. And, and, and I think ther- therapy is really important to me. So I make the time for it. I need to communicate things. I need to get things out. I need to express 
things because otherwise my mind creates narratives that do not exist. (laughs) Or I find Mm -hmm. that it's just, it's just really, for me, debilitating to live inside my head. Oftentimes, at least when, like my favorite thing to talk about with couples, when I'm working with couples, like romantic couples is, I think it's amazing to hear about how they love and how they work so well together. But I always love to ask about like, how do you guys fight? What's your argument style? Does it work? What do you do? I'm sure you guys have learned a lot about each other. What's the last fight you guys had? I think we've like, we've kind of figured out how we communicate with each other at this point, right? Like in the beginning, it was, it was wild and we didn't know. But I I think that we, after at least almost two years or more of, of being in it and a year of being really in it, I feel like we kind of, Simone will be like, hey, I think you're going through this. And I'm like, oh, she's, she's right. You know what I mean? She saw it before I even realized it. Or Simone will call me and I'll just be like, okay, don't worry about everything else. Process what you're feeling. You know, like, it's just, oh, I know what sets her off. She knows what sets me off. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like in the beginning it was not that way. And Jamie and I are very different people and, and our triggers are very different and just like how we operate. I'm very like methodical and detail oriented. And I like to like take every, I can't concentrate on 50 things. And Jamie's just like, "Ah," you know, like that's the beauty of Jamie, but it's like, it doesn't work for me. And sometimes I would just feel like so overwhelmed. And now I, now she's like my safe person, which is the craziest thing because she was not safe for me at all. But now she gets it when I'm like, when I feel like I'm getting like overwhelmed, like I just have to tell her. And then she almost comes in in this very like nurturing, like, okay, like we're just going to take care of it. And she like makes everything else go away. And it's like the most, like, it's the nicest thing to know that, mm. that I can have my sort of like crazy outbursts and she just knows like oh it's just as simple we just need to do this and then I feel safe and she feels it's just I think help put things in perspective and and she's not offended and I'm not offended and it's it's very nice where Mm. I've I've never had that before with anyone because I've always been really afraid to talk or to be like I didn't like that or you can't do you know just to even Mm -hmm. have that open honesty is like not something that I'm used to everything is pretty on the table like <laughs> like almost where and that's like it, the only I way a certain way I'm like hey I feel like there's something weird going on let's talk about it. like it's almost too direct because that's the only way I think we can be productive and work together mm-hmm. and it makes it a lot smoother and like you don't have that feeling of like I can't say this thing to this person and this person's bothering me, but I'm just going to live with it. Yeah, exactly. That like very open line of communication. I think it's like so amazing with how like mindful and aware you both are about how different you are, but you guys have like, you're doing such a good job of seeing the other person. And it does remind me a lot of that whole, like the languages, the five different languages of love (laughs) and like, you know, like what does Simone need right now? It's very different than what I need right now, but I'm going to give it to her. And if that means like taking one thing at a time and making all this other noise go away or vice versa, um, because oftentimes what like sets us up for trouble when 
we are working so intimately with someone, whether it's, you know, personal, romantic or business or child, parent, whatever it is, it's because we're just projecting what we need in the moment. And so I think that you guys are sound like you're mastering it and it's a work in progress and you're continuously doing it. And I think that only shows how successful the kit really can be. I just want to ask you both a couple more questions. The first one is, this is sort of coming from one of the most researched ways to increase optimism is this idea and this exercise of seeing yourself out into the future and sort of being able to talk about like what a mundane random day in your life. So like five years from now, Jamie, what does like a random Tuesday look like in your world if it goes the way that you would want it to go? Huh. Waking up at probably the same time I wake up now, which is around 6.30 or so. Um, Waking up with my kids, all having breakfast, preparing for the day. I think having them go to school, I would assume. Either heading to an office or working from home. I think that, that I'm not a huge believer in needing an office, but I think it's good to, for me, I need to mix up where I'm working all the time so I don't get too Mm -hmm. crazed. So either working from a home office or going to an office with a team that's united and excited about what we're doing. And I think working on kid undergarments and, and hopefully it's a lot bigger at that point. And we've been able to do a lot of the things we've wanted to do and either coming home to family or dinner with friends and, and getting a good night's sleep and being healthy. And I, I honestly, I, I don't, it's nothing too different than what it's it, not, not even different. I don't think, I think it's like so simple. I think this time especially has made me realize that it's like being home and, and being with people you love is so important that, that that's all I can hope for. I think so many of us have also realized that a lot of what we dream about, like we are kind of already currently living. Yeah. Like I I feel like if you asked me this question five years ago, I'd be like, well, I'd be going to Cabo and that's it. And I'm like, no, I'm actually like pretty content and, and happy with a very simple, healthy, happy lifestyle. I love that. What about you, Simone? Five years from now, a random Tuesday, what does it look like? Just like at a club. (laughs) (laughs) Like alone on a yacht. Yes. (laughs) I don't, I I think it's kind of the same. I think it's more like I can't see what I'm doing, but I feel like I want to feel something. Like I want to, I want to wake up and not feel stressed and overwhelmed with the state of the world Mm -hmm. or what is happening with work that I have to get done or this that I need to do or this meeting that I have to be on time for. It's like all of those things to me are the things that like kill my soul (laughs) where I just want to feel like everything is not so overwhelming and to not be so stressed about all the little things and to enjoy more maybe the process or the present 
moment. You know, I think, I think that's one thing that this has taught me a little bit more of is not having to be somewhere, not having to do, get everything done. You know, like we are as mothers and career women and having so many responsibilities and, you know, my kids both go to school. I'm responsible for schooling them now, like cooking for them, cleaning the house, doing all this stuff. And it's like, I can't get everything done anymore. And like, what's the most important thing, you know, like, and just being a little bit more like slowing down. Yeah. That's just, yeah. So lastly, what is looking up? What's looking up for both of you? What's on the horizon? What's something that is in the very near future that you want to share with our audience and our listeners? I'm excited because we've been growing really slowly. And I think I'm excited for, I mean, we technically have the same product since we launched. So I'm excited for a new product. I'm excited for our new website. I'm excited for kind of what this going back to work looks like, because I think this was actually trying to see the bright side in all of this, which is really hard to find Mm -hmm. this reset for Simone and Mm -hmm. I actually we've taken it and done the best we can do with it as far as kind of rejigging everything and re amplifying the energy in our brand Mm -hmm. being connected to our customers really understanding who we are really kind of connecting and slowing down and being able to just kind of be one-on-one with with each person who's shopping from us so Mm -hmm. I think that I'm just excited about how we continue doing that. And I'm okay with the pace that it's taking. I love the capsule collection of the, the, while we were in this time of safer at home, the tie dye capsule collection that was like literally hand done by Simone. So cool. When you were talking about doing the the 80 t-shirts in a bag for Christina Aguilera, I literally, like in my mind, I visualized you tie-dyeing the kit undergarment. So you need to see photos of her, of her garage. Until like one in the morning, like every night. And I'm, wow. it's just been crazy, but. Um, <laughs> what's looking up for you? Is it similar um, new product? Yeah. Anything that else to look out for? I mean, the thing is, is like, it could be anything. Like yeah. we just don't know and everything can change in like an, a minute. So I think looking up is just like being positive and open to whatever comes our way. I love that. And speaking of wondering what's coming your way, the thing that we end on in this podcast is a little bit of homework. I'm going to pick a card for you guys to take on through the day with you to have some homework with and carry out the prompt. We're picking cards from the things we're looking up optimism deck, which um, I know you guys both already have. So, love that. Love it. Great. My daughter just only wants to pick the dancing one. I've said it before, but she's like, can we just do the dancing one? <laughs> maybe we'll, maybe we'll pick that today. Let's see. I'm going to shuffle them up. Okay. I'm picking Simone's first and you don't have to answer anything. This is just for you to take with you through the day and answer it at some point today. So Simone's is name just one thing that makes you proud of yourself. Anything that comes to mind even if it does not seem like it, you are accomplishing so much every single day and truly have so many things to choose from. Just pick one. And I wanted to share with you that for some reason, when I was reading this, I was thinking 
about something that I share with clients a lot. And it was coming up while we were talking right now is that I think it'd be really cool sometimes for you to make a ta-da list instead of a to-do list. And just like sometimes in the, at the end of the day, jotting down like a bunch of things that you have already accomplished and that you did during the day. And you'll be so surprised. And it's not this overwhelming feeling of like, oh my God, I have to do this. Or I didn't do enough. Or calling Jamie and be like, I can't do this because I didn't do this. And I, it was not, I didn't have enough time, but it's like actually physically seeing all the things that you've done in your day and being like, holy shit. Like I'm fucking amazing. <laughs> I like to Dallas. Yeah. Okay. Like stuff that you already, you did. And it can be at, you know, it's like feeding your child. And I've learned a lot of that through this process you know, I'm a team of one and it's been, I can't even get into what it's been, but I always feel like I'm not doing enough and that everything has loose ends. I mean, I don't even have time to erase my emails, <laughs> but, um, I tend to with this, like, you know, if what I did in the day was like drink water and like feed my child and take a shower, like that's as productive as can be. Right. So celebrate those small wins of all the things you're doing. Thank you. I will. Okay. okay. Here's Stop. Jamie's. Embrace vulnerability. Go ahead. Name one thing out loud that makes you feel vulnerable or exposed. Now place your hand on your heart and think about how strong you are to have been able to mindfully uncover this beautiful self-truth. I feel like they are so like also the card that you get is very what you're supposed to get. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's so funny. I like hear that a lot from people that have the card deck and right now, and I thought about earlier, like, oh, when we do this and I'm not with the people, should I like pick a particular card? But I was like, no, I'm just going to shuffle the deck and just pick one. And it is so true. Like, I really do feel like those two were, I feel really good about those two for each of you. Me too. I like it. And yeah. Yeah. So I will be happy to hear about later on in the day, Jamie, what you came up with. (laughs) I'll text you. Okay. Thank you guys so much. Thank it was so, much. so nice to not only catch up because I miss you guys and I don't feel like I ever get to see you guys as much as I want to, but this was really nice. And I'm glad to know that you guys are doing, doing okay. Really nice. And Me I'm too. sending you guys lots of love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info on how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.com. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Sade by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.